The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. CIO Talk Radio is sponsored by HP Data Center Services, Cloud Computing Services, and Workplace 360 Services. Are you ready for an instant-on world? Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Here's Sunjo Gall. Good morning and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Today's topic is Transforming Government, Procurement, and Contract Management. And our guests for today's show are Nick Nayak, who is the Chief Procurement Officer with the Department of Homeland Security and Acquisitions Instructor at the Australia University. Good morning, Nick. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. So, life good? Very good. How many hours? 20 a day working? Yeah, it's uh, 24-7 for weeks. 24 Okay, so you exceeded my expectations. Great. Yeah, that's what Thank securing you. the nation is all about. I totally agree with that. We also have Jerry Horton, who's the CIO with the U.S. Agency for International Development, also known as USAID. Good morning, Jerry. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Oh, definitely. The honor is all ours. So is uh, work getting any better for you every day as the, the economy seems to be seeing an uptick? And yes, there's a political uh, you know, challenge that we have out there. However, all that comes as part of the game, right? It's all part of the game. And, you know, part, the wonderful part of CIO is there's a new challenge every day. I totally agree with you. And we have Michael Clark as well, who's the USAID contracting officer and the division chief Bureau of Management. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Good morning. Very well. Thank you. So how is life any different for you when you are sitting on, on your chair every day? It, how is it, it looking? It's, it's looking good. I work with, with Jerry Horton. I have the benefit of that. And as Jerry mentioned, there's a lot of uh, new challenges that are very exciting and uh, fun to be a part of. Uh, great. So the reason we wanted to do this, uh, have this conversation today is because we have always heard a lot of different things in terms of how government uh, uses tax dollars to carry on delivering security and other services for the, the citizens. Now, there was not much visibility. There were some initiatives that were put in place. And or uh, there were others sometimes even blamed for saying this was there was a misuse or abuse of tax dollars. So we wanted to bring some clarity. And that's where the first question I would like to address here is, uh, Nick, this is for you. What do you think could be the reason? We, we totally understand that there may not be malintent. But since there is uh, proof of the pudding is in itself and we know that there have been some cases quoted where have, there have been some, uh, you know, uh, not the best utilization of tax dollars. Do you think that could be attributed to perhaps a broken process, the way uh, procurement is conducted, the way people uh, assess their needs and or how the contracts are managed? Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, I guess, you know, speaking from the, the DHS perspective and uh, it, well, let me back up for a second. Let me speak from the government wide perspective in terms of procurement itself. So in the, 
in the last 10 years, government spending has gone from $200 billion to $500 billion. Um, at DHS, we're uh, one of the top seven uh, spenders uh, in order to provide uh, security for the homeland, and that's about $19 billion. And so now let's think about how do you uh, oversee and manage uh, in order to, uh, you know, not have uh, waste in government. And uh, w one of the things that we've done, so I've been at DHS for about a year and a half, and uh, under uh, Secretary Napolitano, and then specifically my boss, uh, Undersecretary Rafael Boras, who is our chief acquisition officer, we've implemented a number of enhancements uh, within uh, acquisition and contracting is, is uh, a, a part of acquisition. And uh, one of those that I, I just want to mention, because, you know, if you think about security, and every American citizen knows security is important, we can also look at the last several years and, and know that nothing major has actually occurred. But then the question is, what's the price that you actually have to pay for that? And, and you sort of have to figure out a balance. At the end of the day, in my role, I have to make sure that we're getting a good deal for the government uh, and that we're making sure that we don't have uh, waste in government contracts. So one of the things that um, Undersecretary Boris championed that we've implemented here in DHS uh, is uh, putting together an organization that um, would oversee all of the major programs that we have in DHS, and then implementing a process and refining a process for reviewing programs at major uh, points in their life cycle to ensure that things are on track, and certainly contracts are a part of that. Uh, in DHS, we have 500 programs. We have 135 major programs, and those are programs, uh, $300 million life cycle, life cycle being five to seven years, um, and, uh, and again, ha having this organization, which we call Program Accountability and Risk Management, um, ensure that programs are accountable, and of course, programs are supported by contracts, and that we have ways for measuring risk of programs so that we can uh, come to the rescue of programs at the right point in their life cycle to ensure that there isn't uh, any, uh, any waste that's going on. So we've uh, begun that process. We're evolving that process. Uh, we feel pretty comfortable that uh, it is definitely going to be one of the means with, with which we ensure that uh, taxpayer dollars are spent uh, well on our contracts that support our programs that deliver our mission to protect the homeland. Now, with that said, now, Jerry, how do you, sitting where you sit in terms of a CIO seat, uh, try to look at possibilities of preventing anyone having a water cooler conversation about $1,000 hammers and $100 nails being procured? <laughs> I, I think a large part of our problem is there's a huge duplication of services. So it's not really so much, I think, a, a matter of waste necessarily. It's just that we're all doing the same services in different ways. And, you know, I kind of focus on commodity services. You know, we all have email systems, and we have probably hundreds of email systems across the government. You know, to be able to start to consolidate those, move towards as uh, OMB is pressing it towards centers of excellence, it will give us an opportunity to start to cut a lot of those costs. And I think that as we focus more and more on uh, reducing our cost on a, on a daily, monthly, yearly basis in order to fund out new activities, since our, you know, our budgets are going to be going down probably, that we start to look at ways of having people say, oh, yeah, we're cutting this service or we're cutting that in order to be able to pay for this new service. So I think to change the water cooler conversation from, oh, the $1,000 hammer to, oh, 
we're changing this service or we're reducing this space and reducing our cost so that we can pay for uh, new services. I think the bigger issue, too, though, that we're dealing with is, um, you know, and then let me just start by saying, you know, I, from a CIO's perspective, a lot of procurement, uh, the processes are dictated by laws, rules, regulations. And from my perspective, you know, we're like playing the tennis match. You know, we have to hit the ball in between the lines. So that's why I rely so heavily on uh, uh, you know, our great procurement staff, Mike and his team, to be able to guide us through that. But I think the one thing that you know, really impresses upon me is the um, being able to use and, and implement better requirements to help the contractors deliver better services. Part of our problem is that a lot of times we don't know what exactly our business units want, so it's harder for us to be able to say, give us X, Y, and Z, and then we just kind of say, oh, well, give us something. And I think the more that we can give defined requirements, uh, the, the easier it is for the contractor to be able to meet them, and it's easier for us to be able to manage them. One of our major emphasis, is, from my perspective, is to be able to use more statements of objectives. Let the contractors tell us what's best. You know, I think in certain areas, private industry is more advanced than we are. If you can give us a better help desk, you can give us a better email system, you know, let's do that. Let's, let's not try to reinvent the wheel for ourselves every day. Yeah, so, and- Sanjay, uh, this is Nick. If I could just add to that, those good points, um, I want to say a couple of other things that uh, are important with respect to getting a good deal. Uh, one is a concept called strategic sourcing, which essentially is at its core leveraging buying power. Uh, government-wide, we're doing it in terms of office supplies, and we're also uh, headed down that road in terms of wireless devices and services. Um, the other thing I want to point out is about requirements development. That's a very, very good point. The clearer the government is in defining what it wants, uh, and certainly it is critical that the government uh, interacts with industry far in, enha- far in advance of going out with a procurement so that they can clarify requirements, uh, the better deal that we're going to get. And frankly, you know, it's, it's the better deal all the way around. It's going to be good for companies because only companies who can deliver value will bid on it, therefore reducing the burden for them on bidding on things, which ultimately is passed on to somebody. Um, and, then, and then in the government, we get exactly uh, what we want. The other uh, thing that I would add to the conversation is, and, and – uh, our other guests could speak to this a little bit, uh, probably uh, smarter than I could, but in the IT world, things are being transformed. That we, we used to buy them in a particular way uh, and pay for a, a ton of infrastructure costs, and things like cloud computing are really uh, transforming the way we're going to buy certain parts of information technology uh, moving forward. It's, it's, fa- it's evolving very quickly, as all IT does, uh, it'll actually be fascinating to see if something even better comes along uh, while we think that this is actually the best. Great. So, Michael, uh, the question here would be, is the size and complexity which prevents uh, the government to be able to do the job comparable to how private sector has been able to do with respect to contract and procurement? Do we, Given what's at stake, do you think just because the size and complexity exist, do we jump the gun and that's why there is a leakage? I don't think so. I mean, I think it, it really does get down to defining the requirements, properly defined requirements are so critical. And it just it's really how you go at it. Um, and it, in my view, a lot of it comes down to acquisition planning. We really have to have strong acquisition planning because you can you can work around a lot of a lot of you know, say systems or tools that may be um, 
challenges, but you know you can't really get around poor acquisition planning. You need to have a great emphasis on that, and if you do a good job at that, I, I think this size can be managed very well because that'll get to you know the best way to go go at the procurement and really kind of flush out your um, the opportunities for success and help you to realize if you are starting to walk into something where the size of it will be a hindrance or not. So, Mike, do you think there are some, say, if I, if you were to go and audit, say, uh, an organization which is doing this uh, procurement for a variety of goods and services, and you were to look across multiple agencies, multiple departments in federal and or state government, and what, what would you see as a common denominator is as the areas where they could use some improvement in order for them to get the best results? Like, say, say take the top two or three areas which really surface. I mean, I, if I'm understanding the question just in general, it really gets down to um, the, um, again, define the requirements in advance of the acquisition um, and, and defining the specific objectives and success factors for the procurement. You really need to know what you want to get out of it. And very often um, we're so fast to go at what we want to accomplish and get something started, we don't spend enough time to say, you know, to, to, to realize whether we really know what we're asking for, if that makes, you know, if, that's, if that makes sense. In terms of, um, um, as Jerry pointed out, like a statement of objectives, are we willing to say, okay, contracting contractor community, tell us how you're going to do something, and if we really, you give us something we really like, we didn't think of, we're going to let you go ahead and do it. That is a, is a great solution. Um, I think for the government when it can work. The challenge is we have a lot of really, you know, intelligent folks on our side working on this, and it can be difficult to separate saying, well, I think you should do it this way, um, and it needs, you know, do ABC when we're trying to say we're, we, we have the contractor solution, we're going to let them do it. You know, it, it's, it's a difficult balance there, and managing that can be very hard, and part of that's uh, probably an education process to shift to say, okay, if we are going to go down the path of statement of objectives, because there's a lot of good reasons to do that, um, we really need a full uh, team effort of all the folks involved, acquisition, technical, um, and others, to, to understand what that means. What does it mean to say we're going to a statement of objectives versus the you know the standard statement of work where we're telling the contractor exactly what we need? I think to me, that is the kind of the, the the greatest challenge for this five seconds to overcome, is kind of the the understanding of what it means to go to a more um, open-minded thinking of, and that that doesn't sound good, but I mean, you know, once you say that the best approach is let's see what industry can do and let's let them do it, you know, then then it, then the emphasis um, gets focused on the management of the procurement post award and how do we how do we enforce the uh, performance that they promised that they would do. Yeah, and this is Nick. I'd, I'd like to just add to that in terms of challenges with acquisition planning. So let's kind of relate this to private industry, a private industry buyer and a government buyer. Both would like to have all the time in the world to plan out a buy. And if you have all the time in the world, you're certainly going to go and do market research you're going to connect with industry. You're going to ask them what's the best solution to your statement of objectives. Uh, we both, so we're equivalent there in our intent. Uh, but here's what happens on the government side of the fence. 
Uh, number one, appropriations law. Uh, most of our money that we get to fund our contracts that support our programs is one-year money. And so that immediately puts you in a time crunch where uh, you have to begin spending that money. The second thing is all of us have been for years now operating in these continuing resolutions where we don't even get our annual funding for a particular agency until we're about five or six months into our fiscal year, which means we have about five or six months to spend the predominance of our funding, therefore chipping away at our ability to do all the things that we wanted to do in terms of acquisition planning. However, I will say this, uh, despite those circumstances that private buyers never have to be concerned about, uh, I mean, I'm not saying they don't have their own time pressures, but we face these time pressures year after year after year, um, we still get it done. And, by f and, and far and away, when you look at the statistics and the buys that are made in government, I mean, for instance, at DHS, we have 100,000 uh, tra buying transactions that, that occur a year. Most of them, if not all of them, go extremely well with these, uh, these challenges that we face. The last one I'm going to mention in terms of uh, acquisition planning is simply people. If uh, spending rose from $200 billion to $500 billion, and certainly it's risen for all of us federal agencies a little bit, um, you've got to have people. This is still a people business. You can't automate your way out of uh, contracting. Uh, deals are struck by people. They're struck by people even in the private sector. And uh, so uh, the good news for us is we've been uh, in DHS, we've, we have been hiring, we have been developing, we've had tremendous support and leadership around uh, acquisition in our, uh, in, our, in, our, in our agency, and it shows over time, but it does take a little bit of time. Let's take a quick break, listeners, we'll be right back. And when we come back, Jerry, the question is where the requirement definition, if you will, on what the agency and or the buyer wants. How do you take that information and go for your due diligence? And how do you sift through what is really important versus not? How do you weight the value of each purchase that would be made? What would be the ROI? Literally thinking running government like a business and acquisition like a regular business. To what degree can leveraging IT, we can bring this to uh, a reality? Let's, let's explore this when we come back. Please stay tuned. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We live in an instant-on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The instant-on enterprise is here. Are you ready? 
Visit hp.com for answers. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So, Jerry, based on what we discussed in the first segment, it looks like the requirement definition and the planning, the time available for planning and the very planning on how you would go about doing due diligence could be some of the most important elements, which, if not handled properly, would result in potential leakage. So, if you were to look at the systems that are being built in your agency as well as others, what is it that is being done in particular to remove these problems? Or have you been given the funding or specific projects have been kicked off to eventually plug the holes? Well, I think from a CIO perspective, not so much from a procurement one, you're never funded to do 100% of what you want to do. So understanding that you you have a limited fund set, and this is true in private industry. When I was out um, on the private side, you still had to focus on the priorities. And from my perspective, the priorities are what the business units, the bureaus in our case at AID, need to do. And a lot of, since we're uh, primarily overseas, we have 85 missions around the world, you know, what, what they're doing on a daily basis as far as providing uh, uh, development activities around the world should be the driving force for the activities we want to do here. So as we start to define our uh, processes internally to CIO, it's around gathering the requirements from the business units, what do you need to do? And then being able to validate them. You know, we started about a year and a half on a project where we actually went out, talked to eight missions, got their requirements, came back, designed a system uh, using some very quick uh, turnaround tools, uh, got it back out, started to validate it, walked through the process with them to see what changes they would make, and now we're sort of in the second iteration. But I think that the tool sets are changing so rapidly, and one of the great things about IT is it does change every five seconds, but it gives us the opportunity to do rapid prototyping to see, oh, does this really meet your requirements? I think from the uh, CIO perspective, again, you know, since everything that we do on the procurement side is guided you know, through laws, rules, regulations, and again, you're trying to stay within the lines of the tennis court, so to speak, you know, what we look at is, can we start with a small system and scale up as opposed to trying to develop you know, a huge new system? Uh, when I was out in private industry, I, we uh, was with a very large corporation that walked away from a $60 million implementation of an ERP system because it was the right thing to do. In government, that's a lot harder to do, as, as Nick said, because of the funding timing, the funding uh, sources. But the flip side is you have to be able to walk through those requirements, and if you start small, scale up over time, and let your business units help drive those requirements, it makes it a lot easier for us. A lot of times the CIOs, too, are kind of strung out in no man's land because if the business unit doesn't know what they really need, then it's much, much harder for us to be able to define the requirements. And I think that that's one of the situations that I try to stay away from. It's like, if we don't have clear requirements, let's push this off. Let's talk to somebody else. Let's try to figure out what is the end goal and be very outcome-centric. You know, I think from the IT side, you know, we know very well what we do, but it's hard to translate that into the outcomes we want to see. And a lot of times those metrics are very, very different. And then you look two or three years down the road, you know, I, I'm very fond of saying that 
you know, five years ago, we didn't know what an iPhone was. You know, uh, four years ago, we didn't know what an Android was. We didn't know what an iPad was. Look where we are today with the rapid rise of consumerization. So things are changing so rapidly around us in a very good way, I think, but we have to be both open to the change and help our business units through it as long as they understand as well what they need out of it. So, Nick, the question here is the, the, the theme is that we have not enough funding, perhaps, for the IT systems, which could potentially help do what you want to do. Then the, the buyers are not planning their own acquisition properly, and then perhaps the empowerment is missing at the contract and procurement departments or your groups so that you can say, you know what, till the time I do not, this is the standard for the, the requirements that I need. If you do not have that standard, we cannot jump the gun and get the cart ahead of the horse and then just do the procurement because at the end of the day, the taxpayers are the ones who are left holding the bag. Yeah, I guess I would kind of carry, so thanks for the question. I would sort of say this. Uh, out of necessity and because it's really the right thing to do, uh, so procurement organizations, and then we just kind of give the audience a little bit of specificity with respect to DHS, for instance. So we have nine contracting or procurement organizations in DHS. Uh, a couple of them report directly to me, and they buy all of the things we need to run headquarters DHS, and then we have seven additional ones uh, they're embedded in our what we call components. Or we, you would know them as federal agencies like uh, Coast Guard, TSA, CBP, ICE, FEMA, uh, Secret Service, and FLETC. Uh, and then we have one organization that does our classified uh, procurements, 1,453 contracting people. Now, uh, they, each one of those contracting organizations have multiple customers. The CIO is always a big one um, and very critical for a number of reasons. I mean, I, you know, it's just IT is needed for everything and feels like it's a part of everything. We are very closely aligned. Our, our heads of contracting or procurement are closely aligned with the CIOs uh, throughout the department, um, and so there, really, there is no disconnect. The challenge is, uh, and, and by the way, procurement people don't go out and do procurements for no reason. They do procurements based on serving a customer, the CIO being a big customer. And so as the world of the customer changes, uh, very much like Jerry described for his customers, um, you have to react to that, and you react to it together. So you know, just an example would be, let's say there's a contract for something the world of IT changes uh, as it is, and we need to change to something else. Um, we can do that, and contractually we can do that. So we can end contracts and start new contracts, but there is that little thing called planning that actually has to occur before you transition off to something else. And remember, things are constantly changing. So... Um, the uh, one of the things that we're working with the CIO community on, and, and frankly, it's not just the CIO community, but all communities, is the concept of doing things with agility. Uh, so that just recognizing that things are constantly changing out there and that we would have to stop old contracts and start new contracts, this concept of agility is something that we're, we're, uh, we're working through. One other point I wanted to uh, just share in terms of acquisition planning and, and communicating with industry 
oftentimes we communicate with industry around specific procurements, and that is good. It is necessary. Um, and to the extent that we have lots of time before a particular procurement, you want to take multiple uh, steps to connect with industry. It's also good to create forms outside of procurements because procurements, uh, they have a lot of sort of stiffness to them and uh, rules that have to be followed. Uh, otherwise, those could be tripwires later when you finally get to a contract award. Um, creating forms for communicating with industry outside the procurement process, which is something that industry is interested in, and what's the goal? The goal is to learn capabilities. There are so many companies out there in America doing great work, small businesses, mid-sized, large businesses. We need them all to fulfill our mission. Um, but how do we know what they're doing, what their capabilities are? So, you know, for instance, in our space, it's to protect the country. And you go to various places where we're doing great work to protect the country, uh, and you want the people on the front lines, uh, ultimately program manager types, to know what all is out there in terms of, in terms of capabilities. Now, despite the numerous challenges we face that uh, on a daily basis that would make doing something like this uh, seem difficult because, you know, you're, you're doing 100,000 transactions and, and uh, that in and of itself is a, is a huge task. How do you find time to do something like this? Well, you've got to find time. You've got a way to find a way to have more and more of our program community throughout government connect with industry outside of the procurement process. Again, it's, it's kind of like market research, uh, but it's really just understanding capabilities that are out there. Now, how is that going to help? Because ultimately, uh, that's going to help shape require, future requirements. Again, making them extremely clear. And, and look, the clearer you are before you are about to negotiate a deal, the better deal you're going to get. And really, that's the essence of uh, you know our, our, uh, our chat today, which is uh, how do you sort of get a good deal and minimize waste? So, Michael, uh, the question for you is based on Nick just said that, okay, these guys give us good requirements, then we will everything will be good. If you were to sit in a buyer's shoes, what is preventing them? Are they just simply not uh, privy to what it takes to build a good requirement? Is that a training issue? Is that an intent issue? Is that a lack of planning? So every time they're doing it at the 11th hour, and that's why they do not seem to have the time, and, and the, the dollar amount attached to it seems to be mighty high. And even though that, that amount is pretty high, the, corres the corresponding seriousness that's allocated to it doesn't seem to be there. W what do you think you can attribute this, this to if you were sitting as a buyer? What's I'm their sorry, concern? What, 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 is, what is a buyer's challenge here? Why no, are they not able to give you what you need to get the job done properly? The they being, um, oh, forgive me. Do you want the technical on the requirements definition side? I mean, the, 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 the way I'm, I'm asking this question is that we said the buyers don't give us requirements properly. They are also, I'm sure, uh, responsible for making sure that they buy the, time, the things timely and, of course, get a good quality and at the best price. So what prevents them? What, what can we attribute to if you were a buyer today and you were to kind of go ahead and try to define requirement, what prevents them from being able to define that properly? And that's an excellent question. I mean, the, it could be a couple of things. One is the time that Nick touched on. It is often difficult to have the time that you, you really want to have um, to let that develop, to let the requirements develop and to provide those 
to vendors to allow enough time, if it were available, for uh, more wide-open forums to let the vendors contribute to the um, to um, the development of of the re- not the requirements per se, but in terms of how the agency could go at it and get vendors' input as you develop the requirements, is, it can be very helpful. So if you have more time, more resources, that, that would be a great thing to have. The communication side of it to the vendors, um, it, you know, it depends how you do it. As Nick mentioned, you do your research, do your due diligence, um, and we do that. And IT, you know, ironically brings a lot of that to us where we can do a lot of market research we couldn't do years ago now to, to learn about some of the capabilities that are out there um, one thing we've done is you can post at some of the, the government-wide portals to uh, have firms tell you their capabilities, and you can use that as a tool as well. Um, but I think I think a lot of it it, it just comes down it does come down to the, the time. I mean, you certainly do the best you can every time to provide the best requirements to the widest audience that you can to fit the. Uh, to fit the procurement, because you you know that's always going to benefit the government. The more the the more um, resources avail, you know, the more sources that can contribute to the solution, and the more that you can open it up is going to benefit the government. So we certainly intend to provide good requirements to a broad audience wherever possible. Let's yeah, take a quick that, break. Let's, yeah, we'll hold that thought, thought, Nick. Is that Nick? We yeah. wanted to. Yeah. So please hold that thought. We'll be right back from the break, and let's continue. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. We live in an instant on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP's solution for managing secure servers, storage and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show. Here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So, Nick, please take it. Yeah, thanks. Okay, so uh, you had mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, kind of if, if you had a good requirement, everything would be good. And I, I, that having a good requirement is very helpful for a specific procurement. 
uh, to get a good deal and, and ultimately also get what the agency needs to meet its mission. Um, so some additional points. Number one, requirements are not written by buyers. They're written by uh, people in agencies who actually need something, and, t- and typically they're people who need something to deliver a program. So ultimately, you know, contract award is only an enabler to program success, or it's a part of program success. So I wanted to share that first. But, you know, kind of, so for me as a, you know, the chief buyer at Homeland Security, what would I say is, you know, kind of the formula for getting a good deal while we buy things that are needed to protect the country? It's kind of, uh, you know, overarchingly it would be something like this. One, you've got to hire highly qualified contracting professionals, and if you're talking about the acquisition workforce, which is essentially everyone who would have a role, starting with the person who writes the requirement, it would be hiring highly highly qualified contracting professionals, program managers, and things that we call contracting officers, technical representatives. That's the acquisition workforce are all the people who, for the most part, touch a, a, a buy or an acquisition, the buying being a subset of acquisition. We've got to train them all to be the best in class. We have to strategically source as much as possible, which is essentially leveraging your buying power within a department. Uh, and if you can do it government-wide, like we have with office supplies and we're going to be doing with wireless devices, definitely do that. Um, as we've been talking about, you've got to foster an acquisition process that encourages early engagement with industry, again, yes, to us to help us establish clear requirements while reducing bur- uh, bidding burden on companies. We've got to maximize competition. That's how we get a good deal, oftentimes how we get a good deal of having continuous competition, selecting the appropriate contract type, which is something we do in the contracting community. <clears throat> and then ultimately, look, and you mentioned it, once you, once you have a contract award, it's about successful program management, and a subset of that would be contract management, too. You know, at the end of the day, if you had to face the American taxpayer, you would want to be able to say, um, depending on your agency mission, and in our case, we want to say we're doing things to protect our country, our great country, um, and we are doing it, uh, and we are getting the best deal that we possibly can while we are buying cutting-edge uh, items that are evolving every day to match the evolving threats that we face. Um, so that's kind of the story that I just wanted to, you know, share some more around the good good requirement is one piece. There's a lot that we're all working on uh, across the government in order to ensure we get a good deal while doing the, the actual thing that we were asked to do as public servants. Now, with that said, uh, Jerry, if you were to look at the whole value chain, which means when somebody expresses a need to with that getting defined and then hand it over to the procurement and contracts, and then something is procured, and then finally it gets utilized and some usage monitoring is conducted, and finally an ROI is delivered and or reported. This whole process somehow needs to have the continuity in terms of the information flow as well as how it changes hands and how people are held accountable for their respective functions. If you were to take this and map it to the systems that are being put in place, maybe in your agencies and others, where do you see things have been done phenomenally well and where do you see we still have a lot of scope of improvement? 
Jerry, did you get the question? Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Um, I'd like to jump around a little bit on the scope of the question because I think it, it hits a couple of different points. One is, you know, on the value chain around CIO activities on, on IT, you've really got both back office activities as well as front office. And when I say front office, I mean more the information management piece. So on the IT side, you know, you've got the technology, the computers, the networks, all the stuff that people don't see on a daily basis. And on the front office side, you've got information, which is intangible. So a lot of times the things that we do aren't immediately visible. It's not like building a building or building a highway. So a lot of times we have to be able to justify what we do and our decisions around these tools that give people better access to information, you know, better information stores so they can make decisions on and be able to use that, you know, sort of uh, – uh, to give the users who are actually creating the value for the agency, in our case, people out in the field actually doing development activities, better information. So, I mean, that's really the, 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 the drive from our perspective. So that's our metric. I think from the perspective of, of doing this on a regular basis, I think inside the federal government, we have the CPIC process. Um, it, it's, it's, it can be a little unwieldy at times, but the process you know, comes around to or, or gives us the opportunity to be able to look at our investments uh, build a business case, you know, look at an ROI up front, do the implementation, and then you know, review it again at the back end to see did we do a good job. But I think a lot of times we don't invest well with the business units so that, that we actually see what their ROI are. You know, it's harder for me to see you know, if I have a program officer in Uganda how that person uses an iPad, for example, to do work outside the facility, and how does that make him more functional or her more functional. So a lot of times that ROI is strictly IT-related when in reality it's very much a business unit function. Uh, we're just here to support them. We're sort of like the old commercial, you know, we're not, we don't do this, we just make it better. So I, I think from that perspective, you know, a lot of what we need to do is be much more integrated with the business side, with, the, with the, in our case, the bureaus, to be able to say, hey, this really works for you. I think the other aspect of the, um, the value chain from our perspective is, as things are changing so rapidly, um, as Nick pointed out very well, if we have to face a taxpayer, and I have to say I have spent a million dollars of your money, how did that affect us? You know, I think we have to be able to face them on a daily basis and say, yes, we spent this money very, very well. And I think the more transparency we have, at least from the CIO perspective on the IT side, that it gives us the sort of ability to justify our actions. Um, in our case, you know, I can, sh I can show people our activities on the ground around the world that's having a defined impact. And that makes it a lot easier to say, oh, well, we spent this money to support them. We spent this money to give them wireless networks, you know, in embassies and missions around the world. We've, we've spent money on, on technology. Now we're spending a lot of money on managing our information better, starting to link our systems together. So from that perspective, you know, we have to have the transparency to be able to show people and the numbers behind it to be able to say, oh, this really had an impact. Now, what all you just mentioned here, um, if suppose you were to compare this whole spending and uh, contract procurement, the government itself to a business, do you think today we are at a point where you could offer an agency a dashboard where what all things were to be purchased and how they moved all the way from being procured to being consumed and, and, and the value created? How far are from from that Star Trek version of dashboard that you could offer to an agency, or that the across agencies is the technology even available, or that that whole system, information system even been put together, or even well, been contemplated for that matter? Yeah, this is Jerry. Let me just add one thing there: is that yeah, the technology is there. 
there are some really cool ways to show it. But I think the problem that we have, at least on the CIO side and maybe a little bit on the procurement side as well, is that integration back with the business side. Nick touched on it earlier is that you've got to have close alliances with the people that are actually defining the requirements, actually doing the work on the ground. And that's where it's really hard for us to be able to say, oh, well, this affected your people by X percent. Whereas I can say easily, oh, we delivered every email or, you know, say 99.99% of our email within two minutes worldwide. You know, I can say our server utilization is X. It's harder for me to be able to say what is, what is the actual impact on your business side without having those closer alliances. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And uh, Michael, when we come back, would like to further ask the question where what do you think you are measured by? measured on for that matter, like when you get your promotions and or you get your uh, paycheck, how are you expected to earn your paycheck? What all areas are you expected to deliver and what's the benchmark that has been set for you? And are you able to, with what all has been offered to you as a support system, able to consistently do that? And if not, what prevents you, what external parameters prevent you from being able to do your job effectively today? Uh, please, please hold your thought. We'll be right back, and let's let's continue. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today. We live in an instant-on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant-on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The instant-on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sunjo Gall. Welcome back. So, Michael, the question is where we are trying to figure out if you are trying to do your job, what prevents you from being able to be most effective? Um, from most What's your, yeah, I would like you to appeal to all the entities and, and environmental factors which would, you know, help me help you. That's what I'm trying to get out of this. I mean, I, I do think that, you know, while it's a common theme and not to, to continue it necessarily, but the resources is a big part of it. Because um, you do have to manage, uh, you know, the, the there's a lot of great opportunities in the IT world, and supporting the IT office from a procurement perspective um, is interesting and rewarding. Um, and you really want to maximize 
your ability to um, to get the best deals you can for the for the government and ultimately for the taxpayer. So you want good contracts doing great work, and you want, of course, fair reasonable fair reasonable prices, and you want to ensure that the work that's being done is um, is being done as well as it can. So I, I think, to me, the to the extent that we can have a, an across-the-board understanding of the differences between, say, contract management and project management, which project execution is very helpful, and to have you know an organizational behavior that 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 understands that and implements that, um, to and a continuation to emphasize performance-based contracting, focus on metrics and quality assurance. And the reason I point that out is because there's so many, so so much of the day can be spent on contractual matters um, and, and, and kind of um, making sure the work that was agreed to gets done right or, or talking to a contractor about problems that are happening and our ability to manage the contracts. And, and by management, I mean not, not just from the contracting office. We, we do the administrative side of it, but the, at the project execution level is critical. And you really need a a um, almost a takes a village approach where you have a, a team of folks all working together for the same end and the and all understanding. So there's a little bit of a cross training that can occur, uh, an understanding across the office to um, just just what what the contract management includes because it goes beyond the contracting office and and in this in this office specifically. Through recent uh, restructuring, we're trying to get there, and I think we're going to get there in terms of having a centralized um, program management office on the administrative side that kind of manages everything from a high level and ensures um, that all of the players on a on a project, which include the technical and the contractual staff, are working together. And I think that's the biggest the biggest thing is having the the approach, the team approach on the technical and contract side of everybody understanding what each other is doing to get the job done. Because I think that cuts down on a lot of issues that come up, and that's really um, probably the one area I'd say we, we want to try to improve on. And, and Sanjeev, this is Nick. Uh, I'd like to add to that, uh, that very good information and just speak from a cabinet-level perspective about contracting and procurement and uh, how would all of the people who are in that field, uh, know exactly what to do, what are the goals, you know, uh, sort of how are they measured and, and so forth and so on. So, again, just to kind of, uh, for everybody who's listening, we have nine contracting organizations, 1,453 contracting uh, folks, 100,000 contracting actions that occur every year, $19 billion spent uh, in DHS. What I have for all of the 1,453 contracting uh, employees is a strategic plan. The strategic plan has four priorities. Uh, they are quality people. You've got to have quality people in order to do good contracting. Quality contracting, uh, you, there's a lot of things you have to do in order to have quality contracts. Quality program support because we're not in the business of awarding contracts. We award contracts to enable programs to do things that protect the nation. And uh, the last one is quality interaction with, uh, gov between government and industry. Again, going back to the point that we've uh, uh, spoke about, uh, which is effective interaction with industry will get and clearer requirements ultimately will help you get a, a better deal. 
four priorities, 30 initiatives within the priorities, and uh, 66 metrics. And we slice and dice the metrics so that uh, we can tell how efficient we are, effective we are, how good we are with customer satisfaction. There's a number of other organizations that uh, ask us to have uh, particular metrics, for instance, the Office of Management and Budget for all uh, contracting organizations has something they call acquisition stats, and so those are a subset of our 66. This is all put into a strategic plan, which is sent directly to the 1,453 contract employees so that they can see themselves as part of the big picture uh, so that on a day-to-day basis when buyers are, are involved in all of the buying transactions, uh, they can see the big picture and sort of point to, oh, uh, and by the way, and then these metrics get driven down into uh, folks' performance plans uh, and through the heads of contracting that we have, the nine contracting offices. So it, it's really important for all of the buyers to see themselves as one. In our, in our case, we have a lot of things to support the Secretary's initiative of one DHS, and within contracting, this is one of our ways of doing that. And then uh, what's very nice here is uh, above me, the Undersecretary for Management, who wears the cap of Chief Acquisition Officer, also has a, uh, a dashboard for all of the chiefs that work uh, under him, uh, the chief officers, and I'm one of them, the Chief Procurement Officer, so it's a real nice tie to the uh, health of the cabinet-level agency, Homeland Security, the health of management, uh, and then in my particular world, the health of contracting, which then ultimately lets the people who are doing the hard work on a day-to-day basis know that they're part of a bigger picture. And know, it lets them know specifically what the major initiatives are and what they should do to help us push the metrics in the right direction. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you, uh, Nick, Jerry, and Michael, for sharing your thoughts. It seems like that we are really taking very, very good steps and very promising steps to transform government procurement and contract management. Yes, there might be some gaps in terms of how uh, timely and quality-wise we collect the requirements from the buyers, but it seems like we're getting there. Thank you so much for sharing your input. Thank you. Thank you. And listeners, uh, if you have any questions or thoughts, please send us to views at ciotalkradio.com. That is views at ciotalkradio.com. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Join Sunjal Gall next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific for another hour of CIO Talk Radio. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by Citrix, offering go-to assist, remote support made easy. CIO Talk Radio is sponsored by HP Data Center Services, Cloud Computing Services, and Workplace 360 Services. Are you ready for an instant-on 